See if you can find Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bible today. I'll give you a few minutes. Okay, Genesis 1, 1 in your Bible this morning. How many of you brought your Bible? Hold it up in the air. Let me see if you're, bring, if you're still bringing your Bible to church here. Amen. Wonderful. Hold them up a minute. again. Get a shot of that. Somebody turn a camera on that. Film that and leave it for your grandkids. They'll never see it again <laughs> in the world of today. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. The subject here for a few weeks is reality, making sense of a crazy world. And it got crazier this week. And every week it seems to degenerate into more craziness, doesn't it? And we're trying to look at the Bible and see God's view of reality. And last week I gave you an introduction to the whole series. And I began by quoting Charles Colson, who I heard preach uh, this message by video. Of course, I didn't hear him in person with it. But Chuck Colson, who, as you know, was one of the key figures in the Watergate scandal, back with Richard Nixon. He's a brilliant Harvard-educated lawyer, and uh, was the president's lawyer at that time, Richard Nixon's lawyer. And he was involved in the scandal that took Nixon down and out of office. And then he got saved in prison. And he was known as being a cutthroat, rough, win at any cost, do anything you could to defeat other people. That was his hard-driving character. And in jail, he came to know Christ. He wrote a book about it, Born Again. And Chuck Colson said in what was, if not his last, nearly his last message. And these are words to really listen to. He said, Christianity is more than a system of ethics or moral teaching. Christianity is more than a religion. And it is more than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he made this statement, Christianity is God's explanation of all reality. Now that's worth writing in your Bible there somewhere. What is Christianity? Most people would say it's a religion, it's a moral ethical system, or it's even if you're an evangelical Christian as we are, it's having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But Colson takes it another step, and I think it's a vitally important step. Colson says Christianity is God's explanation of reality. And you can look around at the world, and you can come up with what you may think is reality, but honestly, we've been deceived many times about what is real and what is not real, have we not? And in this in this explanation here, Christianity is God's explanation of all reality. Boy, get hold of that today, folks, please. Now, Greg Kukul is a, an author and a professor out on the West Coast. And he, he defined Christianity along the same line. Christianity is God's true narrative of how the world began, 
how it ends, and everything important that happened in between. Now, you may question that everything important that happened in between. You hadn't, I mean, Columbus did discover the world, and the Bible doesn't talk about that, and, or he discovered America, rather. And all these major discoveries and things that have happened in history. But in the big scheme of things, if you stepped back and looked at the world and the universe from the standpoint of eternity, then only the events of Christianity are the things that will count and last for all of eternity. Christianity is God's true narrative. Now, that word narrative, we didn't used to hear it. It's one of those cool words. It's an N word right now. Everybody, a narrative to everything. You hear, every time you hear a news conference with political leaders now, they're using that word narrative. It's really cool. It just means a story. A narrative is a story. And people are into my story. And on Facebook, they talk about themselves, their story. And people write books on their story. Well, Christianity is God's story. It's the story of Everything that happened since the world began, how it began, everything that's important in the ending and in between. Last week, I compared Christianity to two things to help you think about the subject at hand. I said, first of all, Christianity is God's story, his narrative of how things began, how they will end, and the most important things that's happened in between. So I use that. Think of the Bible as God's explanation of reality. This is the true narrative of all that God wants you to know. The second thing I compared Christianity to was that it's like a puzzle. And we've all had the experience of buying a puzzle and turning the pieces over and looking at them, and it just looks like nonsense at first. You think we'll never work that thing. 500 or 1,000 pieces on the table staring up at you. But then you learn as the elementary puzzle maker, which I don't have a great deal of experience. I always got bored and quit with puzzles. But at any rate, you learn to pick out the pieces that have the straight edge on them, and you frame in. And so you build the frame on the table first. And you have hundreds of other pieces, but you get the frame. And once you get the frame, then it's a little bit easier to start filling in the pieces in between. Now, the Bible, Christianity, my Christian faith is the frame for me in this great puzzle of life. What is Christianity? Christianity is the framework over which I can take all those other pieces and I can get them and put them and begin to see how they fit. Pieces like government, law, education, economics, my personal affairs. The pieces begin to fit, but they will ne you'll never complete the puzzle. You got to get the framework. And last week I said there are seven pieces in the frame. The first one is God. The second piece is man. If I want a biblical worldview, I have to get this frame built so I can interpret life from God's perspective. And so the first and most important thing is God, and then man. 
And then the problem that we're all dealing with, which is sin. That's the ultimate problem. And then there is the Lord Jesus who came to deal with sin, to take away sin. And the most important thing he did was the cross. And then the resurrection. And then ultimately the restoration of the universe back to its original purpose for which God made it and what he will do there in the consummation of all things. Now, I needed to give you that to, because I want you to learn that as we go through this series of reality, making sense of a crazy world. Now, this morning, I want you to look in your Bible at Genesis 1.1. I always have you to stand. I won't. It's just too short today. You can quote the text with me for the most part, can you not? Let's say it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to notice something that's pretty self-evident, but people today have forgotten it, I'm afraid. In the beginning, God. It begins with a person, not a big bang. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, you won't have a great deal of problems with the rest of the Bible. If you can understand that there is this being, God, and that he actually created the heaven and the earth and set everything in motion and sustains it to this day, that it is his and that he's in control, the rest of the pieces begin to slowly come in and to make a picture that you can understand of reality. Adrian Rogers said it so wonderfully. He said, if you want to understand the Bible, you have to understand Genesis 1.1. And so he said, God wants you to understand the rest of the Bible. So he hung the key right at the front door where nobody could miss it. Don't you like that? He hung the key right at the front door. And so you pick up the Bible and there's the front door. You open it up in the beginning, God. That's the key to understanding so much of the rest of the Bible. There's a movie that's out. Um, it may have already been in Florence. I'm not sure because it was not well publicized. It was called, Is Genesis History? Is Genesis History? It's a well-made Christian film, but it's showing in the, in the major theaters. And the whole point of the film is that God created the universe in six literal days. Not six long ages, but six literal days. And in that movie, it talks about what we call young earth creationism. That's what we believe in. We believe in a young earth, that the earth is, you don't have to have billions of years to be able to fit all that has happened into it. We believe that the pressures of the great flood can explain everything you need to know about ages of the earth. And since it came out, we found out that some of these dating methods that these scientists use are very, very unreliable. At best, they're generalizations. And that nobody can really tell you how old that the earth really is. But we know how long God has been dealing with people on the earth through the young earth creationism. Now, today the prevailing view of the world, of course, is evolution. That somehow life began with this big bang, and then there's been this descent, many, many generations of living things, and it 
changes and it's based on a randomness so it takes forever before the pieces come together. Do you know that's not a new belief? Charles Darwin wrote his book on the origin of the species in 1859. Do you know when evolution first began to be postulated as a theory for the origin of the world? The ancient Greeks, Plato taught evolution. So Darwin is really a Johnny-come-lately when it comes to the teaching of evolution. But his book came out in 1859, and Christians began to fall by the thousands for this theistic evolution, bring, accommodating evolution in the, in the scripture view of th- scriptural view of things. And up until then, Christians had rejected evolution. But this book caught on and put the pressure on Christians to believe theistic evolution to accommodate the evolutionary hypothesis. And it still is a hypothesis because you can't prove it. It's not a scientific thing. You can't go into the lab and recreate it. So it's a theory. It's a hypothesis. And it was not until 1960 that Christians really could defend their position. We were just kind of at the mercy of science for a couple of hundred years there. And then there's a geologist who I greatly admire. His name was Henry Morris. He wrote the notes in the Bible that I use primarily. Henry Morris was the head of the geology department at Virginia Tech University and one of the most renowned, famous names in geology in the whole Western world. And he wrote a book along with a theologian, John Whitcomb, who helped him with the Bible side of it, and it's called The Genesis Flood. And this book came out in the 1960s. And people laughed at him and hooted and ridiculed and mocked him. And yet Henry Morris stood his ground, continued to do research. Other scientists with PhDs in all these different fields began to come to his side and they began to say, you know, I think you have something there. Do you know today there is a fast growing and large young earth creation movement Several thousand PhD-level scientists, geologists, physicists, uh, astronomers, and on and on, several thousand of them around the country now have formed various groups, and they all believe either in what we call intelligent design or a young earth theory in some cases, and it's a growing movement. There's more people right now who believe in a literal six-day creation than there was two, three, four, five hundred years ago. It's a growing movement because evolution has never really fulfilled our desire to know about our origins. Where do we come from? Last week, I posed to you the ultimate questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when this is over? What's the purpose of life? And why is there so much pain and suffering and evil in the world today. And only the Christian view of reality answers those ultimate questions. Francis Schaeffer said, and I quote, Christianity didn't begin with Jesus saves. Think about that. Christianity began with in the beginning God. What a profound statement. You see, we want to go and hand somebody a track and say, here's Christianity. No, no, no. It's just a little sliver of Christianity. 
Christianity began with an explanation of our origins. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That means that before anything else existed, there was God. Stop. Think. Turn your brain on for a moment, okay? Before there was one molecule, there was God. Or to say it another way, there was nothing, not one atom, but there was God. In the beginning, God. And so the universe began with a person. Didn't begin with a bang or some amorphous primordial soup that lightning somehow struck and bang, a first cell was formed. In the Hebrew, the word for that is baloney. <laughs> nothing can't produce something, right? You ever known nothing? If there was nothing, what produced the first spark of life? God was in the beginning. And he's the central character. Here's the big thing our culture has forgotten today. The story ain't about us. It's about him. He's the key player in the drama of history. He is the key piece in the puzzle of reality. And if you miss that, you'll miss it all. The universe began with a person, and the central character is God, and it's not man. Christianity is not humanistic, man-centered. Christianity is theocentric, we say. It is God-centered and Sadly, much of our society today thinks in terms that it's about us. It's not about us. It's about him. He's the, he is the star in this drama, and we're nothing but a very weak supporting cast, as it were. And so before there was anything, there was God. Now, you and I believe in the law of cause and effect. We know that if I do that, there was an effect that moved that, a cause that moved that. And the effect is the microphone's laying over here out of place, and I caused it. And you could leave that microphone there now for a thousand years, and it's not going to move. It's got to have a cause to move it. And here we got a universe, a universe of billions of stars and living things here. And people want to tell us that just happened through a randomness, through a natural selection process. No, God is the first great cause. And every effect has a cause. And God, in the beginning, created the heaven and the earth. Do you know why people don't like that first verse? Because that first verse just absolutely rides over them like an army. It just devastates every other world view. Follow with me and think about it. So here's the atheist, and he says, there is no God. And this verse refutes atheism. In the beginning, God. There's the polytheist who says there are many gods and this verse says, in the beginning, one God, God created heaven and earth. And there's the pantheist who says, everything is God. 
that the material universe is eternal, that matter and energy always existed. And this verse says, everything is not God. God is God, and he created matter and energy. He created the heaven and the earth. And fatalism comes along and says, well, the universe came about by chance, just randomness. And the Bible says, it didn't come about by chance. In the beginning, God brought it into being. And there is materialism or scientism, somebody calls it today. Matter and energy have always existed. They were not created. They're eternal. And the verse says, no, God is eternal. And God created matter and energy of which the universe is composed. And there is evolution that comes along and says, well, it all came about through this process guided by random selection. And the Bible says, no, no, it had a designer. His name is God. In the beginning, God created the heaven. You see what the Bible does? It just takes down every other single worldview and theory of our origins, where we came from. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. If you're a member of this church, I want you to understand something that I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't understand, that Jesus Christ was also there on creation morn. And in Colossians chapter 1, and I begin over here in about verse, um, in verse 15, it says that it's referring to Jesus Christ, his son, up in verse 13. And so then you come down to 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, so it's talking about Jesus. Let's see what it says about him. For by Jesus were all things created, all things, everything that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible things like trees and hills and mountains and people and invisible things like microbes or spiritual realities. And whether there be thrones, that's governmental power, or dominions, or principalities, or powers, various forms of governmental authority. Now look at this phrase. Underline it maybe in your Bible. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. There you go again. Before there was anything, there was God. He is before all things, and look at this, by him all things consist. Or that that word in the Greek has the idea of they're held together. That the reason the planets don't go flying apart and the world doesn't spin the people off of it and the reason that things continue to exist and function is because of God's handiwork in Jesus Christ. William Barclay is a great commentator. Here's what he said, and I quote, It is the Son who, as it were, holds the world together. That is to say, all the laws by which the world is a cosmos, an ordered system, and not chaos, are an expression of the mind of the Son of God. The law of gravity and all salt so-called scientific laws are not only scientific laws, but they are divine laws. They make this a reliable 
and a dependable world. Every law of science and of nature is, in fact, an expression of the thought of Almighty God. It is by these laws and therefore by the mind of God that the universe hangs together and does not disintegrate into chaos, end of quote. Aren't those powerful words? God not only created it, but God holds it together and causes it to continue to operate. So number one, the universe began with a person, not a band. Number two, if you're taking notes with me, the creator is not the creation. The creator is secondly not the creation. What do I mean by that? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's a big teaching in it, and you're going to begin real soon now to see how relevant this is to the worldview and how different that a Bible-believing Christian is from the secularist out here in the general world and what you see on the news each evening. You see, the planet is not a person. Genesis 1.1 tells me that the planet is not a person. The creator is not the same as the creation. Nature, to say it another way, is not God. Well, you and I are becoming unique as Christians in that worldview. Do you know how many people today believe that the creation is, in fact, a part of God himself? Now, we call that the official name for that is pantheism. Pan is a Greek word, means everything. So really, everything is God. Pantheism, everything is God. But is everything God? Is that pulpit God? Is the flowers God? Am I God? No. Everything is not God. God is God and everything else is something different. This thing's been around a long time. When I was in high school, I had an English teacher who loved to quote Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said some good things. He also said some really crazy things too because he was a transcendentalist. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, I quote from one of his writings, the current of the universal being with capital U and capital B, the current of the universal being circulates through me. I am part and parcel of God. Doesn't that sound, that's probably on a poster in somebody's office. And it's more that baloney. I'm not a, part and parcel of God. God in the beginning created the universe and he created me and other people. We are not part and parcel of God. Pantheism teaches, listen to me carefully, because it's around everywhere now. It's invading America through the movies and films and science fiction, especially. Be careful. Be careful. Pantheism teaches that there was an impersonal spirit. We don't know what the spirit was like. It's not a person. It's more like a force. In fact, their term for it is the life force. There was this thing called the life force. And in transcendental works, it's called the universal mind. You've read that term, haven't you? Universal mind or being one with nature. You hear that stuff. 
That's pantheism. Now, if you're in the East, pantheism is called Buddhism. If you're in India, parts of Hinduism are pantheistic. But when you come to America, we had a Judeo-Christian base. You don't expect to hear pantheism. But it's everywhere. The New Age movement is totally a pantheistic movement. Totally a pantheist. Everything is God. There's just one thing in all the universe. And it's this life force, this spirit, this impersonal spirit. And this spirit is behind creation. And this spirit is in the chair and in the tree. And it's in the sea. And it's in me. I am God, so they say in the New Age. You are all little gods, little g. And so coming up here in about a couple months, we've got an entire day that the Congress of the United States has designated as a pantheism day. Do you know that? America has pantheism day every spring. They call it Earth Day. And in every public school in America and every major university and in government and so on, it's a big deal. Earth Day recognizing this force that we don't really understand, but it's behind the creation of the universe. And you hear people say, earth is our mother. Well, doesn't that put goosebumps on you? That makes you feel good, doesn't it? And earth is our mother. And save the planet because the planet, that's the source of everything for us. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 1, and let's see what God says about all that stuff. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans 1 and 25, it's talking about men who change the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, creature meaning the creation, all the creature there would be the universe. Men who changed God's truth, that God is separate and distinct from the universe, changed it into a lie, worshiped and served the earth, the universe, the creation, more than the creator who is blessed forever. And in verse 26, for this cause and others, God gave them up to vile affections and they became totally degenerate. Romans 1.25, I just read to you, says this. Get hold of this. When you treat a thing like God, the Bible calls that an idol. And when you treat the earth as being God with a little g, you have just become an idolator. Romans 1.25, proof text. No, the creation is not the creator. The biblical narrative just has one theme, folks. A king, almighty God, created a domain, a kingdom, if you will. And he is the one who rules and reigns sovereignly over that kingdom. And that kingdom exists in two dimensions. First of all, there's a physical part of it a material dimension with planets and stars and mountains and seas and forests and rocks and birds and animals and rivers and people. 
That's the material side, the visible side. And then there's a non-physical part of that kingdom. It's spiritual, the invisible world of spirits, of souls, of mind, and of miracles. Part you can't see or touch or feel or taste or smell, but it's very, very real. And the main theme of the story is about the creator. Man has a supporting role. We're members of the cast, but we're not the main character. He's the main character. So over and over and over, the Bible says we're to give all glory and honor and adoration and praise to who? Not to man, to him. Stop and start thinking about that and see how that will change your worldview. And the Bible is the true story of origins, where we came from. Where did I come from is the ultimate question. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then in later chapters of 2 and 3 there, it gives us the details of how he took 100 pounds of clay, made a human being. Adam, and then a a companion. So we got three points today. One, the universe began with a person and not a bang. Number two, the the creator is not the creation. They're separate. There's a third one. My wife and I are walking around in a gift shop, something I really love to do. But we're walking around in a gift shop, and I saw a little sign on this little thing, and it said, if you break it, you own it. I got that message real quick. Don't, don't touch our stuff. Yeah, I understood that. But I got a little wrinkle on that this morning. If you make it, it's yours. If you make it, it's yours too, isn't it? It belongs to you if you make it. Genesis 1.1 says he made it. In the beginning, God created, made out of nothing is what that Hebrew word means. God created the heaven and the earth, so everything belongs to God. So the universe didn't begin with a big bang. It began with a person. And the person is separate from the creation, and we're not into the New Age environmentalism because God is separate and distinct from his universe. And thirdly, It all belongs to him. Everything belongs to him because if you make it, it's yours. You own it. And if he makes it, then he owns it. If he made it, he owns it all. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 real quick here before I wind her down today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Question? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? In other words, he made it. And the last words of the verse, you are not your own. You may think you belong to you, but you don't because you didn't make yourself. You simply came into being God made you, and if you make it, you own it. 
And in verse 20, you're bought with a price. And of course, that refers to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ's work for us. So let's see, let's begin to look real practical how our Christian worldview, our biblical worldview translates into practical stuff. If God made me and I'm not my own, if, if I belong to him, then I'm pro-life. If you believe Genesis 1-1, you're pro-life. It's that simple. Debate ended. You see... That baby that you carry in your body, women, ladies, that baby has different DNA than you do. That baby may have different chromosomal makeup than you have. It is not your body. It was created of God, and it's there. And it's a life. And we believe it's sacred because God made it and breathed into it the breath of life. And we believe it's sacred because he said... I make that baby in my own image. And trees are not in his image, and cows are not in his image, and rocks are not in his image, but babies are made in his image, every one of them, period. The image of God is stamped upon them. So you see, now we're beginning to get to some practical stuff, and it's going to get increasingly practical in weeks to come. Keep on coming. Because if you believe Genesis 1-1, you're pro-life. And I said it helps you interpret a crazy world. Let me tell you how crazy it really is. Up in Kentucky, a man was drunk, driving down a road, and he hit a woman who was seven months, eight months pregnant. And the woman lived, and the baby died. They delivered a dead, quote, fetus. And the solicitor in the county prosecuted him for manslaughter. The solicitor in the county prosecuted him and won the case. He had killed a living human being, though the human being had never seen the light of day. The human being was in its mother's body. It was recognized as being a person. However, that same woman could have gone to an abortion clinic, had an abortion, walked out, and been as free as the day. Same baby, what's the difference? A crazy world is the difference. It's how crazy this world is today. It's so crazy that a girl who is now taking, pumping herself up with steroids, but wants to be on the girls' wrestling team, and is stronger than any man, She's been one, she's won every wrestling event that she's had. And she says, though, uh, or, or the, the thing is, they, they won't let other people take steroids. You get eliminated if you take steroids from athletic competition. But because she's in transition now, she gets to take her steroids and win all the events. Crazy world we live in, is it not? What kind of a world are we talking about? In Holland now, 40,000 or so people are going from all over the world every year to hook up and have a doctor help, help them take their life. Assisted suicide. Do I have a right to take my life? 
Whose life is it? If God gave me my life, it belongs to him. Do you see how this begins to apply? Just one little simple verse, the first verse in the Bible, just a few words, and just starts knocking down so many different worldviews that people have. Reality. Learning to look at life from God's viewpoint and interpret that life in, in the way God would have us interpret it. To come to the conclusions that the Bible would logically lead us to. Will you bow your head with me today?